You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So, hi everyone, my name is Harsha and welcome to Changing Reality. So, it's been an amazing week since our last episode, since we last saw you. And with that, we are back once again on air with another phenomenal episode, with another phenomenal story to share with all of you. So as I said, my name is Harsha, a.k.a. DJ Harsh, and thank you once again for tuning in for today's show. Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are changing their own reality. And we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. And a few from the Penn campus here, too. So we are going to be hearing these inspiring stories on how everyday people like you and me have begun changing the reality that they live in, while also listening to their stories of how they actually did that um, in their own capacities. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of others around them. And I'm super passionate about uncovering those stories and learning how people are changing the world um, with the resources that they have and how many of them, like our speaker today, have actually achieved global heights and created global impact through the things that she's done. And personally, I founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance here in Malaysia, where I'm from, which collaborates here with the Malaysian Ministry of Education to provide an alternative learning platform for any student who wants to change their own reality. We work with students from elementary to high school through various projects, sessions, experiential learning activities to help them discover their passion, learn about themselves, and at the same time, go out there and get the experiences that they need to come back and create their own careers. Meaning and well, create their own careers, not just for themselves, but careers that create meaningful impact for those around them too. To date, we've worked with about 6,000 students in 270 different communities and have incubated countless number of student projects and social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 21 years old. So if you have any questions about that, do drop it in the show chat below. I've been very fortunate through the work of Ascendance to actually be awarded the Diana Award for Young Changemakers in recognition of the social action and humanitarian work we did. And through this award and through um, my time here at Penn, I've had the lovely opportunity to actually connect with other phenomenal individuals all across the world who are changing the world around them too. And today we're meeting another fellow award uh, winner from the Diana Award, who is an unstoppable force in creating a better world for all of us. We're talking to Shumi Chaudhary, who is the founder of Awareness 360, an award-winning global youth-led nonprofit that is also ironically headquartered here in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. So her startup actually empowers young people in over three, three different countries to do community service projects that are in line with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs. They've worked with over 1,500 uh, volunteers all across the globe and have impacted 150,000 people through their projects. And at the same time, other than the Diana Award, they've been recognized on many, many international platforms, from Global Citizen to Global Changemakers to the UNDP, UN Women, um, Samsung Global, to even the Commonwealth Youth Program, and so many others as well. Um, our lovely speaker today herself has received so much uh, recognition or hard-earned recognition, I'd say, for her social work. 
um, growing, having grown up and in, based in Bangladesh. She today has um, received awards from some of the top global leaders, most notably the President's Volunteer Service Award from uh, President Barack Obama here in the US itself for her outstanding contributions to the communities, not just in Bangladesh, but as I said, all across the globe. She was also, um, she's also currently um, running for the Asia representative of, um, the, of our Commonwealth Youth Council. So we'll hear a little bit about that later and why she's the perfect person to represent all of us here in Asia. But for now, without further ado, I'd like to invite Shomi on the screen so that we can uh, hear her amazing story from herself. So Shomi, welcome on the show. Hi, Harsha. I hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, loud and clear. Awesome. Thank you so much, Harsha, for the lovely introduction and for inviting me to your show today. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very good. Very excited to speak to you. I haven't slept all night. Uh, I was working <laughs> and it's 8 a.m. in my um, in my time. Um, but but I'm still very feeling very energized and excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, my apologies on your lack of sleep. I, I oh, think no. that, that just shows how work and um, I think you should no, it's just a very overwhelming a busy week but um, yeah I'm very happy to be here and thank you thank you again for having me how are you thank feeling you so how are you doing um good I did sleep for a few hours 10 a.m here in Malaysia so I'm a little bit better <laughs> and um, I think I'm just excited to hear your story um for all of you watching show actually been someone who's personally inspired me um to work a little bit harder and to push the limits wherever i can because i just feel like um she's someone who just really cares and does whatever she can in so many different capacities so i think um a lot of people have been so excited to meet you when we sent out um, the RSVP form to get in questions. There were so many individuals who responded. Um, a lot of them are watching today. Um, I think many of them stalked you on Instagram and told me a little bit about your story and how amazed they were. So be careful, show me. But other than that, um, I think with the introduction, with the many things that we'll uncover in this session, a lot of people have this question. How did you even start all of this? Where did all of this even begin. I know in um, you gave a TEDx talk at the University of Putra Malaysia called Finding Your Passion in Something That Bothers You. And this was all the way in 2018. But your journey actually starts way before that, right? So yeah. how did you actually yeah. begin? Um, you are a leading figure in the water, sanitation, and hygiene um, field. But um, sure. where did it start? Uh, well, thank you for the question, Harsha. Um, well, this that my whole volunteering work journey started quite early on. Um, so I was about 13 years old when I started doing volunteering work um, in my country. Uh, so right now I'm 26 years old. Um, so it's been over 13 years. Um, and my initial inspiration was um, from my dad. So my father works at the, uh, he's a Rotarian. So I, I grew up seeing him doing different kinds of community service work. Um, so I, I have like photos of, you know, um, like us going to, to events together, doing stuff together. So I guess that is where my initial inspiration came from. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and on, on the other hand, my, my mom uh, used to be a very good singer and she was a cultural enthusiast and she would, 
like me to you know do different kinds of stuff and get me enrolled into like music school um dance school art and craft like too many things really um so in my school life i have done pretty much like from debate to drama to you know science fair i was i was like an all-rounder kind of student i used to do everything <laughs> but um all of these experiences um helped me to get this scholarship uh by the u.s state department it's called the yes program kennedy luger youth exchange and study program um, which uh, helped me to go uh, to the U.S. Um, so under that program, I went to Michigan to do my uh, fi my final year of high school, my senior year of high school, um, as an exchange student. Um, so while I was there in Michigan, that is really where my community service um, went to a bigger or a larger extent, I would say, because when I was back home doing community service, it was sort of, at the time, it wasn't really, I might sound too old right now, but <laughs> back in the days, it wasn't as common <laughs> um, so people would still have a mindset where they would think volunteering is sort of a waste of time and all you should do is, you know, study and uh, make sure you good, uh, get, get good grades. Um, but when I went to the U.S., that is where I found that um, people really take volunteering or community service as, as a very important part of their, of their life, of their lifestyle. Um, and we were, in fact, um, tasked to do uh, at least uh, 40 hours of community service. So that was uh, one of the program requirements. Um, and I was placed under this organization called Program of Academic Exchange. So it was a PACS requirement that I would have to do 40 hours of community service. And the, really the objective behind this requirement was, you know, to, to, um, to, to thank the, the host community for, for hosting us, right? Um, and as I was doing different kinds of community service activities, I really um, found found the joy in it like it's such a fulfilling um, feeling right and I was as I was spending time with different kinds of communities doing all these different kinds of um, volunteering work um, I loved it so much that whenever I would get an opportunity I would sign up for it um, and then at one point by the end of the year I ended up doing 460 hours of community service which became a record um, so that uh, got me uh, recognized by President Barack Obama with the President's Volunteer Service Gold Award um, and an appreciation letter from the White House. Now that was a very important moment for me because um, I felt like, yes, I, I came to the States, I did all this volunteering work um, and, and you know, as, as a gesture to thank my host community, my host family for hosting me, which was great. I even got the award from the president, which is also nice. But what about my own country? you know, where I was, um, that has been hosting me ever since I was born, right? So I was born and brought up in Bangladesh. That is where I truly belong. Um, and, and, and so I never like consciously thought of, you know, doing something for my country, right? Um, like, yes, I have done activities, but it was more like co-curricular activities, but I never thought it in, in this way. So that is really what uh, motivated me to, you know, get more involved. So when I came back to uh, to my home country, Bangladesh, I got myself involved with different kinds of organizations, both national and international. And uh, for example, I, I, I got elected as the executive committee member of Yes Alumni Bangladesh uh, Association. Um, I, I got enrolled in a business school here. Um, I was in part of different clubs. Um, so I was doing as much, um, you know, as, as much as I could. Um, like my friends used to tease me that I hardly have time to hang out with them because every weekday or every weekend after class, I would, I would have something to do. <laughs> um, uh, but the thing is, at, at the time, I just loved volunteering. So I was doing a bunch of stuff, right? I didn't have any particular focus. 
Um, so I was I were I worked on projects related to um, you know um, youth empowerment or women uh, women empowerment, youth leadership, different kinds of things, a, a little bit of health as well. Um, but I, I guess at the time, I still did not find my ultimate, my passion or my, my true calling, you know, the, the legacy that you want to leave behind. I haven't thought of it that way at the time. It's just that I love volunteering. I would just sign up for stuff and, 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 and spend time with these communities. Um, until uh, 2014, um, on 14th of April, the most tragic event of my life happened. Um, unfortunately, my mom died from diarrhea and, and she was sick for just one day. And 14th of April um, actually is the it's the Bengali New Year's Day, and it's the biggest festival of, of the country. And this day is extra special for our family, or used to be extra special for our family, because um, this is this is the day when my dad met my mom for the first time many years ago. And we as a family love celebrating this kind of day, so this one was extra special. Um, anyway, so my mom actually went to work even the day before. She used to work at a bank, um, and then. And everything was fine. And then the next day, she's she's dead just like that. So it was absolutely shocking. Um, and, and and obviously, for obvious reasons, we, we were devastated, myself, my, my entire family. I just could not accept the fact that someone can actually die from, from diarrhea. Yes, we hear about statistics here and there, but I guess it hits, it hits you hard when, it, when, it's, when it's someone close to you. And for me, it was the most important person in my life. Um, and when you when you lose um, somebody you you love or someone who is important to you, um, it is difficult. It is it is already difficult. But when you know that you lost somebody um, from a preventable disease, like this could have not happened, that is just unacceptable. And that regret is going to haunt me all my life. And I was obviously going through a lot, and I figured that my mom is actually a very tiny part of a huge statistic, uh, a very staggering one. Um, in Bangladesh, in, in fact, 45,000 people die from diarrhea um, every year. And this is not just something that is related, I mean, that is um, in, in, within the boundary of my country, but, but it, it, it is a global issue. And diarrhea is diarrhea, cholera, these kind of preventable diseases, these are all like symptoms, right? These are not really the cause of things. So as I sort of did a bit more research, I found out how important water sanitation and hygiene or WASH, the acronym WASH, is in saving lives. Um, and, and diarrhea, in fact, is the second leading cause of death uh, for children under age of five globally. And I was even more shocked to find that 4.5 billion people, which is half more than half the world's population, 60% of the world's population, don't have access to safely managed sanitation. And sanitation, hygiene, access to clean water, all of these are intricately linked to all these different diseases that people are dying from. And at the time, I was going through a lot, and I felt like it, it's sort of like COVID-19, you know? It's not enough that you yourself are safe. Your, your surrounding people around you also have to be safe. And the WASH case is similar to COVID-19. Myself, like I come from an educated background, from a, from a good family. My, uh, we have access to toilets. We had access to, you know, clean drinking water. My mom knew how to wash hands, yet she, she contracted diarrhea. How? Because probably somehow, you know, maybe a street food vendor, uh, somehow she got contracted maybe the, on her way back home um, from work the day before. And, and she, in fact, um, on, the, on the note of, you know, how that day was very special, um, she actually did shopping for all of us, the entire family, my, my dad, my sister, my grandparents, except for her. 
Um, and I don't know, it's probably a coincidence, but, um, and then she told me and my sister that, um, show me if you don't tomorrow, early morning, if you guys don't wake up early, because we, we usually tend to sleep in when it's a holiday. And she was like, if you guys don't wake up early to, to attend, as I told you, like she's very, she used to be a very culture enthusiastic kind of person. She was, and usually on New Year's Day, there there's like um, a cultural event that starts like really early on, like right after sunrise or something. And then she was like, if you, if you guys don't wake up early, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go on my own. And she really did, you know, she left forever. And I just could not accept this. And I felt like if I coming from an educated background, if this is what happens to my family, and I was so ignorant about all of these. What about those vulnerable, marginalized communities who don't have access to, you know, sanitation or, or awareness, or just basic education? What about those communities, right? So that is really what motivated me to become a WASH activist. And as a matter of fact, uh, my first WASH talk, the, the one that I did, um, was four days after my mom's death um, at a storage workers community. And the storage workers community are considered as very um, isolated part of the society. Um, and they're often considered as untouchable or unclean because of the work they do. And I felt this is such a disgrace that we don't acknowledge um, the, the significance of their work. Um, and I felt like they are the ones who need to know about these things first. So as I was doing that wash talk, right, talking about hand washing and, and sharing my story, at that time, it was only four days after this incident, the pain was very new. It was very raw. And it was, it was very difficult for me to actually go up on stage and hold the mic and tell people to take wash seriously. But at the same time, it was also a moment of realization for me. And I felt the incredible power of storytelling. Because when I tell you a huge number, usually people can't connect to statistics that much, right? But when I share one story, a personal story of a mother, a daughter, it, it's easier for people to connect to it. It's easier for people to place um, themselves in other people's position, in other person's position, and probably you will think of your mom or your daughter or your dad or somebody you love, right? And then when you sort of zoom out and see the macro um, situation, how, you know, this exact same story times 4.5 billion people, that is when you truly understand the gravity, the magnitude of the problem. So I realized that incredible power of storytelling as well as the potential impact that I could bring through these wash talks which is why I decided that, no, this is really what my passion is. And that is why, as you mentioned, that in my TEDx talk, I mentioned, you know, find your passion in what bothers you. Because usually we, we tend to connect passion with something good, but we can also find our passion in something that is bad, something that hurts you, something that makes you angry or bothers you so much that you won't rant about it, but you will also take action. So that is really what I did. And that is how sort of in an unplanned way, I came into the water sanitation and hygiene space. And I continued my activism ever since. Okay, thank you for sharing. And I think I speak for the whole audience when I offer my condolences. And um, it's very inspiring that you got to work immediately after that. You tackled the problem at the root cause itself. And one of the quotes that I found from you actually in uh, one of your many media features is um, you actually mentioned on how you went about hooking these communities to start with. And you said, these people, they are working with sewage and are completely cut off from the rest of the world, even though they are situated in the middle of town. And they are the ones who need to know about sanitation and hygiene first. And that's why you chose them as the location for your first workshop. How did you actually get in touch with this community? How did you pull together the resources to immediately start tracking, tackling down the problem in a sense? I mean, within a week, it's, it's not something that um, I think most people do, but how did you manage to start 
working on it so fast and where did you go to first what was the first thing you did in the sense so actually um so as i as i as you read in the in the news feature that this um this uh, community uh, was situated on the, in the in the middle of the town and my my first school this the school that i went to was actually in that town i was near like i i would have to um sort of cross that bridge and then go to my school every day and i would always notice and and i know that this is sort of a community that i never i've never been inside but i know that there is something right um and i would always question like in my uh when i was when i was a kid i would always question like what is this like it's literally in the center of the town but we usually sort of ignore this part right um and then as i told you like my initial inspiration was from my dad and my dad actually gave me those values of you know empathy um treating people um with with respect regardless of their background their social economic status or 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 whatever their, their their background is or how they look how they sound um you know their 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 ethnicity so these are some of the learnings that i received from my parents um very early on and my dad uh works at the at the fisheries department and he used to have uh, he used to manage this farm um where uh, one of these uh, storage workers used to work for for my dad's farm and he actually invited like even like many years back he invited um us to uh his daughter's birthday party and um in general um like probably uh someone of my dad's uh, stature or rank would probably not visit um you know that community in general but my dad said that no um just because he is a storage worker doesn't mean that we will have to you know decline his invitation and he would be really happy uh, and he happens to be the first boss who actually visited his house um and then he was really happy when we visited his um his his community his you know his daughter's birthday party um and that was the first time that my dad and my my entire family my mom my dad i i we went that was the first time i i could see what 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 like the inside looked like and i had that sort of in my mind you know um even even beyond that like many years after so i knew about the the situation how it's like how you know they're not very aware about sanitation hygiene etc um and on the other hand i was very lucky to be uh, to receive the support of um yes alumni bangladesh association and um uh, so as i told you like right after i came back from the us i got elected as one of their executive committee members and i was very actively involved with them and that also happened to be the global youth service day um during that time uh, in april um and uh the irnbd international education resource that for bangladesh and yes alumni bangladesh they um they supported me with with grants um so i had that and also i had some uh, wonderful volunteers some friends some colleagues who supported me throughout um and in terms of making the connection going to the community that was easier because of of that previous connection that my dad had um you know in terms of going or reaching out and so they knew, knew about it so that is why it was easier for me um to do the the project um even though i was going through a lot emotionally at the time but yes i'm very thankful to all of these organizations and to all the people who helped me during that time i mean it meant a lot and it still means a lot to me i think that you know that i think that, um the part of it that really inspires is that you didn't go and try to fix a problem far from home you literally saw what is the need what do i know about this where do i start and you chose some place that um had a you had a connection with and i feel like and i was actually there uh, already because my mom was buried there that's my grandparents uh, place so my mom was buried there so that's why and i had i have like because that's where i sort of grew up so i have that 
um, emotional attachment to that place. So that is why I wanted to start off with uh, that hometown as well. Yep, and, and I think that that is a very heartwarming thing to hear in a sense that you went back to your community and you started there first. Like, uh, and once again, my condolences, but I think you've taken it from there to today, heights which have impacted so many people and have saved so many lives in a way through your work. So you did this first talk, you had this, um, you shared your story and um, many people would just leave it at that. They would say, I've done my job, I've, I've paid it forward. But you didn't stop, you continued and you progressed from there. So what did you do next? What did you feel after the talk and what was your next step in a sense? Um, so that, that as, as I told you that I, I was not even expecting uh, like what I would learn from that talk. And after that talk, I was reflecting on it and I, I had many like light bulb moments like, wow, yes, people actually need need this knowledge, right? Um, and, and we did like this, um, this uh, trash mob because in 2014 something called flash mob was very popular at least in Bangladesh I'm not sure how it was in other countries but like every university really do like a dance with this certain song and they used to call it a flash mob um, and that is when we did the trash mob where we asked the community to clean up um, you know it was a competition that how many um, trash people can collect um, so we divided them into different um, families and they were collecting trash and the before and after pictures were very um, remarkable, remarkably different. And it also got them thinking that, wow, we actually can make our communities clean in like an hour, right? Um, and then uh, we, we gave some prize money to the winning uh, family and the, winning, the, the winner was actually a very young boy. I think he was about nine years old or something. Um, and he, uh, he and his uh, mom, and his mom is blind, um, so we asked him, we gave him the money and we asked him, like, what would you do with this money? And he said, uh, I'm going to give um, I'm going to take my mom to to the to the doctor. And and all of these like little moments or these little anecdotes. Right. These things really affected me emotionally. I, I could I could realize once again how privileged I am. Um, and also how important these wash talks are, um, you know, in, in, and, and I realized that there, there are so many other communities, not just this one. And I can't stop right there um, because it wouldn't be fair to these communities because now I know that I have to do this. So which is really what motivated me to continue on and not just stop with that one wash talk. Um, and a few months down the line, I, I met my best friend, uh, my now best friend in, in college. Um, his name is Rizvi Arifin, who is my co-founder of Awareness360. Um, so we met and he also was active in the volunteering space and he how WASH is my uh, passion. Uh, for him, uh, he was also passionate about WASH, but also about like mental health and, um, you know, child um, uh, protection, things like that. Like he had like his own uh, quality education, um, different other topics that he was passionate about. Um, so one at this one day, we were just having a very friendly conversation at this burger joint. Um, and then we were talking about each other's passion. And then we were like, hey, you know what, like how you and I used to work in different like organizations or initiatives, we were involved in it, right? And then we sort of picked up skills from different events. Like I learned this from here, that from there, and through these experiences, years of experiences. And that is another reason why it was sort of easier for me to do that first project because, and so early on, is because I didn't have to do everything from scratch. Like those skills I already had in me because I started volunteering way back. It's just that I didn't have any particular passion. Uh, so I, I, all I did was I sort of, um, you know, I used my skills, my experiences for that one direction, like towards that one direction, which is wash. Um, 
so so I was talking to my friend and we were like um, maybe like just like you and me there are other young people who also want to do stuff for their community they also may have their own passion area but maybe they don't know um, how to start where to start um, like you and I have picked up things from here and there through these years of experiences but maybe they haven't had this opportunity so why not we build a platform where we will get all these young people who really want to do something and we will give them those skills so instead of um, imposing our passion on them we wanted to uh, teach them how to identify their own passion and help them build their own social action projects so instead of you know feeding them ready-made fish we want to teach them how to fish um, so that is really how from a very friendly conversation in a burger joint we decided to co-create awareness street and the reason why from the from the very beginning we had the, the, the name that was given Awareness 360 by, by Ridgeby, that the reason behind we wanted to raise awareness about different kinds of social issues and so go 360 degrees so we wouldn't work on one particular issue only. Um, and another thing is going global. So not just being um, you know um, centered around Bangladesh, for example. And the reason behind this is because both of us believe in global citizenship and intercultural understanding. We have had met different people from different parts of the world and we really felt the, the, the fun in meeting different people from other countries and learning about different cultures and traditions. Um, and we wanted that. And we knew that there are issues which are common. We have different shared goals, shared problems. And if we could bring that platform and where we can bring people from different countries together, young people can share each other's ideas and can work on projects together or share their thoughts and their you know collaborate on projects maybe. So with that mindset, we decided to start Awareness 360. Even though we started very small, just with a couple of people, um, um, along the along the line we have in the past seven years, we've come a long way. And now we're working across 23 countries. Uh, we have empowered over 1,500 young people. Um, and and, and we, we don't just like arrange projects and say, come volunteer, but we teach them how they can come up with their own projects um, and how they can empower more young people to volunteer uh, with them. Um, so that was really the idea behind Awareness 360. So that is how it's all. I think that's brilliant. I feel like, I feel like that you said the first part was um a lot on how many of us I feel many people wait to find what they're passionate about and then they start in a sense. You just started doing volunteerism and then when you found the thing that you wanted to focus on, those skills that you really had from your prior experiences, um, enabled you to do it effectively, enabled you to actually grow in it. So it's kind of like you you didn't wait for lightning to strike, you you got to work and then you made the most of the opportunities you had. And when it came time to work in, uh, to promote water sanitation, you were able to excel in it because of those experiences. When you eventually came up with Awareness 360, you had the resources to carry it because of your prior experiences. And I think that that's brilliant and more people need to hear that. And the second part of what you said that was very interesting is about, um, which is something that Ascendance believes completely and we work with students to do as well, is um, getting people to become aware of what their passion is, what is the problem they want to tackle, and creating their own social project to take the reins in a sense and tackle that issue heads on. And I think that it's, I love that you guys do this and I love that you guys do this at such a global scale. But how did you even come about the methodology um, to trying it out? Like, Parsons, it was completely um, through trial by fire and trial and error working with students. Did you guys have a similar experience or how did or did you reflect on your own experiences in coming up with this methodology? Yeah, I mean, in terms of methodology, definitely like the first 
two years, we have just done very small scale projects and, you know, just trial and error sort of thing. Um, we were not even very active on like social media. We have we've really learned by by doing, um, you know, and now we are like if you if, if we look back and we see how we do stuff now and how we even handle projects, handle, um, you know, situations now versus how we used to do it back then, it's completely different. So obviously we have learned a lot along the process. Um, and and uh, even though, yes, we did have prior experience, we, we we you know leveraged on that but still running an organization on our own that's like a completely different um experience like it's um there is stuff that i never did before so definitely it was also a learning experience along the process we learned we grew um in terms of methodology we wanted to really um uh, at first we wanted to find the right people it's so important that you have a good team um otherwise it's really difficult to you know to to pass on that message to up to a broader scale um, so what we did is we we recruited um, some people who we call the country ambassadors. So these are the people who are um, comparatively more competent uh, with some uh, leadership experience so that they can um, we don't have to do everything from scratch with them. Um, and then we, get, we 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 sort of came up with like a, our organization follows a flat hierarchy system and when it comes to like um, sharing ideas and all, but just for easier communication or easier management, we we we, we sort of had like, um, pyramid system where you know we have at first the country ambassador and then the country ambassador will work with a group of people who are called the core members and then they would organize projects where volunteers can come and volunteer gain some experience and then they can also join as core members where they get, gain those skills to organize their own projects so that is really how uh, we worked in terms of our projects right like for example sanitation and hygiene projects this is something we have been like continuously doing since the very beginning it has been our focus area but we used the um the sdg framework um very extensively so we basically give an overview of the sdgs to our members and then they decide like okay which problem that they really want to solve what is that one sdg target because usually what happens is when we talk about SDG, yes, many people know about SDGs, but all they usually know is, okay, there are 17 sustainable development goals, but they don't really go deep, deeper, like, okay, for goal six, there's 6.1, 2, 3, 4, ABCD, right? Like, there are so many other subdivisions, uh, targets and indicators. And how do we simplify those terms, um, you know, so that we, we understand our role in contributing to the achievement of these SDGs, because most of the time people think, oh, SDGs are all about like high level people, like world leaders and governments, UN, uh, right? Like we, we, we usually don't understand um, how we also have a role to play in our everyday lives through our everyday actions. So that is really what we try to leverage on. So we try our members to understand their role in, in, in advocating for these SDGs and then they choose which SDG, they don't have to do and like change the entire world at once. It is not possible. So we encourage people to start small, but starting immediately. That is what we emphasize on. Um, so they they have been working on climate change, uh, you know, on, on quality education, raising funds, for example, to to, you know, pay for some uh, underprivileged school children who were dropped um, like dropouts, paid for their entire school year fee. They did different fundraising events to um, to, to do like um, menstrual hygiene uh, workshops, uh, human rights forum, uh, different kinds of uh, SDGs really that they were um, aligning their projects with. Um, in terms of sanitation and hygiene, uh, we have a sort of, um, yes, we started with the storage workers, but now we are working with like the sex workers community, um, the, the refugees. Um, Bangladesh has the largest, world's largest refugee camp uh, at the moment. Um, so we, we started working with the refugees, with um, the, the water gypsies, 
um, like the under-resourced school children, people with disabilities, people living in slums, in pavements, homeless people. Like we've really tried to identify those communities who are usually left behind or most often like the people hardly even think about them. But that is what we do. Like we would go to them. We, we interview them. Um, you know, we do focus group discussions, pre-project service to really understand their level of um, their level of awareness when it comes to sanitation and hygiene. And then accordingly, we design our projects. Um, so our delivery method will also be different. Um, when we are, for example, you know, doing a wash talk at a, at a sex workers community, we usually uh, speak in local dialect so that they feel more connected to us instead of using like the formal Bengali language, for example. Uh, we would uh, play like hardcore Bangladeshi music, um, maybe a genre that is not of my personal taste, but something that they are usually you know, used to. So we would let them dance and really breaking the ice um, so that they feel more comfortable to talk to us or to listen to us. Um, on the other hand, um, in contrast, when we are going to a school, um, we would probably use like um, some animated videos, you know, to really inspire them. And through games and quizzes, we would try to deliver the same message, but the delivery method is different. Um, and of course, like after once the project is over, like following up with them at least via phone, um, you know, and 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 making sure that they they're not just learning things, but also applying those learnings. Like there's a behavioral change. Um, because everyone pretty much knows it's important to wash hands. But how many of us are, do actually wash our hands following that seven or eight steps technique while we're washing our hands, right? So that is the thing that we are ultimately trying to achieve. Um, and it's we also try to create a value for wash. But we, we don't want people to just think of wash as something to... Uh, as something to invest on so that you don't die early or you don't get the diseases. It's way more than health. It's related to it's related to uh, your economic um, development as well because all these communities, right, they're, they're in extreme poverty. They have to choose whether they will buy the next bar of soap or they will afford their next meal. That is the kind of communities that we're working with. So for them, it is difficult. And shifting mindset is a long-term process. And it's difficult to make them understand why they should invest in a bar of soap. Um, uh, you know, uh, while while maybe uh, sacrificing a little bit on the on the meal part, it's it's really difficult for us even to tell them that, right? Um, and which is why we're also trying to um, to focus on the policy side of things. Yes, working at the grassroots level, trying to make them understand the true long-term economic impact of wash, because it's proven by research by WHO. In fact, is that if you invest one dollar in sanitation and hygiene, the return is four dollars. So it's fourfold the return. The economic impact is, is huge. Um, and it's, it's because you, you'll be more productive as a nation. There will be reduced healthcare costs. Um, so it's really good for them to come, uh, to help them come out of extreme poverty. So that is the value of WASH we're trying to create in these communities. On the other hand, we are taking these experiences at the grassroots level to the world leaders. When we meet like important people, you know, the world leaders, the policymakers, the decision makers who are sort of controlling the investment, um, in the wash sector, we try to share our experience with them, trying to influence them to increase their investment in the sanitation and hygiene space globally. Because currently, the level of investment is um, is not enough. We need three times more than the current level of investment in order to achieve the SDG six goal by 2030. So we are really lagging behind. Um, so that is also on the other side, we're trying to sort of achieve, um, you know, that really sharing our experiences because these world leaders will probably never go um, to these um, communities to speak to them. And these communities will never get the chance to speak to these people, right? So that is where we come in and we try to become like, a, uh, we, we sort of try to build a bridge um, and share our experience and try to motivate them why they should prioritize um, WASH globally. 
I think that that is should follow that model of and I feel like many times we try to approach things at the high level we go to um, we try to approach um, ministries, um, leaders, um, business owners who control most of these things without having done the grassroots work. And I feel like that kind of like puts us at a disadvantage. But the thing about you that I find so inspiring is you didn't wait for them to change. You went and made the change first. And then you went in a way hand in hand with the experiences you got from being on the ground with these communities and you brought those experiences to them. As you said, I'm sure most of them uh, can't really spend the time to go and visit each and every single community but i feel like as citizens we have that that capacity that we can connect these two things i'd say and recognizing our privilege and our ability to do that i think um gives us that that opportunity to actually see that we can make a change and i also loved your approach to um kind of like localizing the things that you do uh, making sure that it's um that the information itself is presented in a way that's accessible that is understandable for the communities that you're in i feel like that is so important so you go number one on the ground make sure that they get um that they can understand it in a way that's um comprehensible to them that they see the economic benefits of that and then you take these experiences of the impact you've created and you go to a global stage or you go to kind of like the people who are policy makers and approaching this separate community this i wouldn't say community but approaching the separate group of individuals who are the more affluent who are the ones in charge of um actually the economic sectors making changes and things like that is a whole different ball game from approaching um, the communities that we work with and i speak from experience in a sense how did you go about even finding these people in charge how do you go about holding them in a sense accountable and educating them about the, the issues and the lessons that you have seen um having known that they may not experience it at all in their lifetime in a way how do you approach that Right. Um, I, I, I guess this is time when I start wearing my other hats, um, not just the awareness <laughs> industry hat. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm very lucky and I'm blessed to, to have been, um, you know, um, acknowledged or recognized by different international platforms who have that, that, that power or that influence. Um, for example, Global Citizen is one. So I am the, um, the uh, ambassador or the advocate, WASH advocate from Bangladesh for Global Citizen. Um, and what Global Citizen does, it's an advocacy organization based in New York. Um, and what they do is they connect people through the power of music and they, they make sure that everyone, um, like um, mass people, they're taking actions, you know, asking for a demanding action from their uh, from their minister, they can like sign petitions, sign um, you know tweet uh, to their to their um, minister, to their senator, like whoever is relevant. Um, so they take action, and then those petitions, for example, will be presented to that certain uh, policymaker, decision maker, and say that look, sixty thousand people wanted this and that, right? Um, so through that, for example, I had the opportunity to to um, talk about and share my experience uh, back in twenty seventeen, for example. Um, that is uh, that is um, one of the biggest speaking opportunities I've gotten where I spoke about my experience um, of addressing a crowd of over 60,000 people um, in Central Park, New York. Um, and that was attended by um, like uh, tons of like um, prime ministers and, and, and you know presidents and ministers and really high level influential people. And when I um, attended different kinds of like policy um, meetings or policy forums, um, high, level, high level meetings, I get to meet these people. That is when I take that, I take that, I use those opportunity to share my experience at the grassroots um, so that they they feel um, you know they, they, they understand where I'm where I'm coming from for example um, in 2018 I was um, invited to uh, to Pakistan 
as, as the International Election Observer as part of the Commonwealth Observer Group. So I was invited by uh, the Secretary General of Commonwealth, uh, Right Honorable Patricia Scotland. Um, so while I was in Pakistan, my, my duty was to, um, to, to do the um, election, like uh, observing the election, whether everything is going on perfectly or not. Um, and we were sort of, the team was divided into, um, you know, we were deployed to different parts of Pakistan. So I was deployed to Faisalabad. Um, and, and, and that is where we, we sort of observed the election on the election day. And then we came back to Islamabad for, for a debrief. And while I was there, um, a fun fact about me is I collect photos of toilets um, wherever I go. Um, so I have like a collection of toilet pictures um, and I use those for my advocacy work to show uh, people how something as basic as toilet, how, um, how privileged we are and how different it can be based on where you're from. Um, so just by habit, um, just by for the sake of my hobby, I was also checking out the toilets of, of the different villages that I have visited, the different schools which were used as boating, uh, polling stations um, during my visit. Um, and I took I took photos and, and some of those were like extremely horrible. And I knew that this is my chance where I, I felt that it is. And I spoke to um, to the voting, uh, uh, the, the polling uh, station, um, whoever was in charge. Uh, right. And I was I was talking to them. I saw voters waiting in scorching heat for like two, three hours, um, you know, and the, like old people. The the lady who was in charge of um, of the polling station was, was a pregnant lady. She could not go to the toilet the entire day. And even though my direct role was not to go and check whether people have access to toilets or not, but because I'm a wash activist, it just came on naturally. Right. Um, and so when I spoke to her, I felt really bad and I felt that, no, I have a responsibility to talk about this and I felt that no matter like wherever the election is election um, commissions should ensure that for voters and uh, polling uh, station officers like whoever is related to the entire electoral process they should provide access to clean water um, and and toilet to the basic minimum to all these people so when we came back um, to to Islamabad for a debrief and we were uh, working on our report that was to be shared with um, you know publicly as well as with um, with the Pakistan Election Commission I was uh, championing for that for that recommendation so that that is passed for that um, for that report it was very important but maybe all of them uh, my, my team members were not very much on board with the idea in the very beginning because they thought that it is not directly related to election, right? Which is normal for them to think about it. But then when I showed those photos and when I really made my point, they, they understood that. And for the first time in that report, um, you know, the this recommendation was passed, which is provision of water, clean water and toilet, um, you know, it, for the, and it was recommendation, it was recommended to the Pakistan Election Commission. Um, now this was was a was a moment was an opportunity that was not even directly placed to me, but I made I made the right use of it somehow, right? Um, and 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 that is that is like a mon monumental achievement for me, I uh, personally. Um, on the other hand, when I was in in Fiji um, attending the Commonwealth Conference of Education Ministers, um, there are like incredible people like super high level and there was this session uh called uh i think it was titled something like who are we leaving behind and i knew that this is my chance i need to you know take the mic and share who we really are leaving behind because these are the people i'm working for i'm working with i have been there i've seen that myself so the first thing i took the mic and i said that the people who we are leaving behind will probably never come to a fancy sheraton hotel like this 
you know, I, I sort of use sarcasm, but then I, I try to make, make my point that um, the people that we're leaving behind, and then I, I raise the point about modern slavery and, you know, how they're, you know, um, uh, being victims of human trafficking and so many other issues also came up. So these are some opportunities, maybe not all the time people will say that, oh, come and talk to this minister and talk about your experience. But sometimes you just have to see that opportunity and take that, you know, have that courage to really go and speak up. Um, so that is, I guess, what I have been trying to do. Um, at least part of your story that I think we all need to pay special attention to right. is the fact that you don't just wait for a direct opportunity you make every opportunity matter in a sense so whether it's directly or indirectly related to your work because of the way I guess you're wired in a sense you make the most out of it and that is why you're so effective that is why you're actually making policy changes not just for Bangladesh not just uh, for your advocacy work here in Malaysia but in all around the world and I guess my question for you um, based on your model of how you operate based on your highly localized and yet your global impact I would have to ask how do you find people like you like <laughs> I mean Awareness 360 you mentioned that you've got all of these community leaders all across the world 23 different countries where did they come from did you clone yourself and dress yourself differently and send you to 23 different countries no in the past several years I I am so proud to see that young people you know we have like for your look at yourself for example right um the, the young people are doing extremely inspiring stuff all around the world um so it's really about giving them the opportunity and inviting them to to you know um to join the movement that you're you're leading or you're creating so for me it was really that simple like all we did was people resonated with our story with our values with our project they have seen the kind of work that we are doing um, and I guess that is really what motivated me uh, motivated them to join uh, our organization for example like just um, the other day we finished uh, we closed the recruitment for our uh, summer internship program and um, we our target was having like 100 applications to the to the uh, most at most uh, because we, we would only take like 25 to 30 interns at max and then the applications we got were 645 and now we said we will get back to the shortest people in a week and we just don't have the time to sh go through all the applications in a week because it's so many. Um, but uh, I guess we are we're really uh, we're very thankful to to all the uh, young people who really follow us and we who really, um, you know, try to join our movement. Like all the time we keep getting messages that they want to join us. But unfortunately, we can't have everyone, even if it's out of our capacity. Um, so we have like a certain, like for example, our annual recruitment for members is in October. Um, and then from now we're doing internship recruitment in every summer. Um, so, um, yeah, but we're just so happy to see that there's so much inspiration, so much drive. Um, and motivation among young people. So all we wish we could have even more, um, but but we are we're really trying to to make the most out of the the passion and drive of these young people. Okay, that's very nice. It's very nice to know that more people like you just waiting to start advocacy, just waiting to tackle global problems um, wherever they can, wherever they are in this world. And I think that brings us um, to my final question for you uh, today which is actually um, or maybe one of my final questions, which is actually uh, recently you've been doing something, again, amazing, again, groundbreaking. You're contesting for the Asia rep position of the Commonwealth Youth Council. And um, first of all, sub-question, why? Don't you do enough, show me? Don't you have enough like like stress and partake with all of the different <laughs> things you do? Now you're like, nope, I can still have more responsibility and change even more lives. I'm... I'm in awe, but, um, and I'm especially in your time management skills, but why did you decide to run for this position? <laughs> 
Uh, thank you. Thank you for the question, Harsha. Um, so just for context for our audience, um, Commonwealth Youth Council is, uh, or in short, CYC is the official voice for students um, in the Commonwealth across all 54 countries. There are over 1.4 billion young people in the Commonwealth countries. Um, and CYC is really the CYC um, is the official voice for these uh, for these students. Um, now, the reason why I, I chose or I, uh, I wanted to contest for this Asia representative position for CYC this, uh, this coming elections is because um, I, so I have been involved in the Commonwealth uh, youth space for, for quite a while now. Um, I'm actually the current Asia representative of the Commonwealth Students Association. So under the Commonwealth Youth Program, there are different thematic networks. So for the Students Association, I have been serving as, um, as the Asia representative. And, and also I'm, I'm a Royal Commonwealth Society Associate Fellow. I've been serving in the Commonwealth uh, Youth Forum that is happening in June in Rwanda um, as their International Task Force member. I was leading the policy team and also helping in the programs team. Now, with all these different experiences, uh, I have identified some gaps and some challenges um, that exist within uh, within the space, right? And I felt that uh, given all my prior experiences and the, the network, the resources that I am blessed to have, and I think that I could, with all these experiences and resources, I could mitigate some of those gaps and challenges, which is really why I wanted to um, uh, I wanted to contest for this position. Um, and also I've seen uh, a bit of lack of, uh, or not a lack, I would say there's a potential, there's an opportunity of greater collaboration um, among young people. And which is really why I thought that if I'm there, uh, yes, of course, time management is, uh, is, is definitely something to be concerned about. But the thing is, I have whatever I am uh, proposing in my, um, in my manifesto that this is what I'm going to do. Um, and, and these opportunities are not only going to benefit the community, uh, the young people in Asia, but, um, but also the other um, regions of the Commonwealth. So pan-Commonwealth is going to be beneficial. Um, and, and the reason why um, I'm not as concerned about my time management or because I have so many other engagements is because <laughs> I really believe in collaboration and all the items that I have put in my manifesto, these are the groundwork I already have been doing, um, which is why it's going to be, uh, it's realistic, like I have set my uh, agenda quite realistically. So I really hope that um, the, the national youth delegates of 54 countries will, will vote me in for this position, but I will definitely be working for the Commonwealth space um, regardless. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about, about this entire process. Well, you have my vote and my full confidence in you. Thank you. In making this happen. But um, I, final, final question. <laughs> um, tell us your vision. Um, I'm going to assume that you've already won this seat and that you're already going out there and making changes. And um, how do you see using your role to actually create this global network, this, um, as you mentioned, pan-commonwealth um, collaboration among all of us that here who want to do something? So paint us the picture that um, we are subscribing to, in a sense. Uh, my vision for the Commonwealth, uh, are you talking in terms of the election question? Or is it just in general? As, 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 in oh, general, okay, as what would you do with all the Okay, so I definitely, yeah. um, my vision for, for the Commonwealth is definitely um, a Commonwealth where young people's voice will be heard in terms of you know policy in terms of uh, representation uh, i i really believe in uh, in in meaningful engagement of of youths at at a local level at a national level and at a global level regional and global level and not in a, in a tokenistic approach and i also hope to see greater collaboration 
you know, um, less competition and more collaboration uh, because our our resources are limited. We can only do so much. So there is no point in, in duplication of efforts. We all want some, to do something good. All of uh, our the young people, we, we, we have something, uh, a good vision for our Commonwealth. So it's really time that we work together. We I definitely want to see, um, or I envision a Commonwealth which there will be greater solidarity because there is a clear lack of global solidarity in the world, especially after the pandemic. We have seen that like people fighting over toilet papers, like come on, right? I, I mean, there are so many different ways over vaccines. We're seeing all these inequality. So I really hope to see a more equal, um, not just Commonwealth, but um, in general, I want to see a greater, um, uh, a, a better world uh, in terms of fairness, in terms of equality, uh, where you know girls and women won't be subject to violence. Um, you know everyone will have their their rights, basic human rights such as sanitation, hygiene, clean water. These are like the people will have the respect for each other. People will be more empathetic, and people will embrace the differences. The Commonwealth, the entire world, is so diverse, and we should really instead of Taking on each other's differences, we should see it as, as as something beautiful, and we should embrace that that differences and be be more tolerant towards each other's differences and live more peacefully. So that is really the Commonwealth and the world that I envision. Okay, and we know you with your science and work will create this world for us. So thank you very much once again for the vision, for your lovely sharing here today, and. Um, Thank you once again. I think that we have a lot of comments coming in about how they're very inspired, how they love the experiences that you share, and how their hearts and their salutes go out to you. So once again, where do we support you? Where do we vote? What do we do, in a sense, for you? Um, <laughs> to support me i mean you can follow if, if you want to join awareness 360 or just follow our work uh, feel free to um, you know follow our social media pages we are on facebook instagram uh, linkedin twitter we're pretty much everywhere um feel free to check out our website write to us if you have any idea if you want to join us um and um in terms of voting that is not really open to public unfortunately but i do appreciate everyone's support and of yours too harsha um yeah, so um, feel free to connect uh, with me if you have uh, anything to, to share or any question. I'd be more than happy to support. Okay. With that, I think we'll close our interview for today. Thank you once again, Shomi. You have been truly amazing to talk to. And Thank you, Harsha. I incredible time. Thank you. And I, I would like to congratulate you and thank you. I'm very proud of everything that you're doing. I'm really happy that we got connected through the Diana Award um, and you're you're doing fantastic work. And you're a great host, by the way. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you so much. And I'll see you around. And hopefully we'll make a better world, all of us, the audience, you and me together. This has been Changing Reality. Thank you all. And thank you, Show Me once again. See you guys next week, once again, at uh, 10 p.m. EST and wherever it is around the world that you're tuning in from. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.